0: Welcome everyone to the 77th episode of Everyday Channel. With me tonight is my co-host Caleb Smith from the UK. How's it going everyone? And as a special guest tonight from the beautiful state of, I think it's California, Max Gilmore. Hey Max, how's it going? First of all, are you from California?
1: I am and thanks for having me on. It's great.
0: We haven't had you on in, I think, almost a year. The last episode, we had you and Min on. And uh, just in the pre-show, I was saying like that was one of the best episodes we ever had.
1: Well, um, unfortunately, Min isn't here to uh, make it another best episode, but I'll do my best. Um, things are going really well. I had a... Uh, my second kid was born six weeks ago uh, today, so I've been really busy with that and uh, working from home, which is really nice for family time. And uh, squeezing in magic when I can.
0: Congratulations, man. I, I think you posted the, the, the pictures. Is it him or her on, him, on yeah. our chat?
1: Him, yeah. I have him? two boys What's now. his name? Zane.
0: Zane, hey. And spy, his wife. I'm so stupid. Uh, his mother is fine as well?
1: Yes, everyone's doing really well.
0: Awesome, man. So we got you on as a well, one of the legacy experts right now. Uh, I think you've been doing a lot of work over the past year, and we're definitely gonna dive into what you are thinking of the format right now, what you got planned for the format, and also like the thoughts of Caleb. I think Caleb, you've also been like pretty involved in legacy over the last half year, year, uh, probably even more. But like especially during the last couple of months, I felt like you've been doing a lot of brewing, and you even like. Even though we probably can't discuss it too much, you had a really good deck that somebody took and won a Legacy PTQ with recently, right?
2: Yeah. So sometimes brews go well, and this was just like one of those flukes. I think where I don't know. Every time like a meta game comes along, you have to look at it and think, you know, what's what's the most effective way of attacking this? And with Lurus being in the format, Delva was the de facto best deck. So. What made it different was because they couldn't play Trinium Nemesis or Gomeg Angler. The actual removal to combat those kind of decks was pretty linear. You could just play Lightning Bolt and Fatal Push, which kills all of their threats, basically. So the idea was to make a Delver deck that kind of goes bigger. So I made Grixis Control with Young Pyromancer and Of One Mind. So I'm, I'll be honest, I'm still not sure if the Of One Mind kind of package was just a bit cute. Like I think the card is decent, but it's... It, still needs to be like
0: to prove itself. That's the card that draws you two cards if you have like a human and a non human, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's a divination. Um, This is less true for legacy. Now, it's quite a deep topic. But I think raw cards was always actually quite hard to come up on in legacy, you just you just got advantages through different things, either tempo or manner the other way or something. But raw cards that was just predict in the format and ancestral vision for a very long time. So it's pretty powerful just having this extra card, it's an extra land drop to play three days, it's this extra card for force, whatever. It draws two cards, it's a divination, but if you have a human and a non-human in play, it costs two mana less, so it's just a single blue. So the idea is, you can snowball with Young Pyromancer, because Young Pyromancer itself is a human, and it creates elementals which are non-humans. So if you just have those two in play together, it's, it's an engine on itself. And as you snowball further, you make more elementals and you kill them faster, you draw into more forces and you just kill them pretty quickly. So that was the idea behind the deck.
0: That almost kind of reminds me of the Young Pyromancer Treasure uh, Cruise decks we had We had a, exactly. at some point in Legacy.
2: Actually, the Dig Through Time Young Pyromancer deck was where I got a lot of inspiration from it for because there was also Delvidex in the format, and this was the one that went a little bit bigger than them.
0: So, I guess we, we go deeper on that in, in a short moment. Uh, yeah, first so of all, I think we we'll, let's just like wrap up what has happened in the format earlier this, <laughs> was it this week? Yeah, we we're recording this on a, I don't even know, is it Wednesday? Is it Tuesday? I think it's Tuesday tonight, right? It's, I'm lost in time. Yeah, I guess a lot of people feel that way right now. Uh, so, yeah, yesterday, Lurus, the Dream Den, and Serda, the Dawn Waker, Dawn Maker, was banned. Basically, Serda, the, the big thingy. And, yeah, I guess Lyrus is the one everybody's out coming. I think there, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who didn't expect Lurus to get the hammer. Sirda people were a little bit more surprised about. But I found it interesting that Wizards mentioned that, on the one hand, Sirda wasn't seeing that much play. But the win rates were so high that they felt, okay, we, we just like preemptively ban Sirda as well before it takes over and we have to step in again. How how do you guys feel about that? Um, I know Kaelin and I have played a lot of Zerda. Max, have you also touched on Zerda?
1: Yeah, I have, and I feel really good about that call. I made a post on my uh, my site, minmaxblog.com, speculating last week about what the bans would be, and really hoping that if they didn't just axe the companion mechanic altogether and ban Luris, they would also take at least Zerda with it, because the Zerda decks were as good in my opinion as some of the the non Delver Luris decks, like I'd probably put it on the same tier as like the Luris Miracles deck, um, as far as its raw power goes. But if all the Lurist decks are gone, we'd just be in Zerda hell with uh, probably the Zerda decks even more warping and dominant than the Lurist decks were, because there's a uh, less variety among Zerda decks than there are among Luris decks. So I'm I'm glad they took Zerda out too.
2: Yeah, for me it was quite surprising. I guess I, I didn't get a, I still didn't have a good sense on how good the Zelda decks were. I knew that I know the Turbo one was very powerful, but because it was kind of kept in place by Luris, at least I, I wasn't sure. But the banned version is also really good, so I really liked that they mentioned that the win rate was high because the deck was putting up results both kind of versions. But uh, yeah, it's it's a good reason. If if they just banned it and they didn't give that reason, I would have been a bit more annoyed. I think, but yeah, it's fair.
1: Uh, the Bant Zerta deck was really strong. It was um, it was basically a Snowco deck that just had a combo finish. So instead of your opponent being able to play aggressively against you, they had to play conservative- conservatively against a Snowco deck, which is just not a winning position to be in. So it's like any like Splitter Twin kind of deck, where if you have a combo, then your opponent just has to play differently against you. So your other cards, which are on their own, pretty good, become really, really strong.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I, I kept looking at the list at the beginning, and I thought it just looked very clunky to me, but it might have just been because I was looking at it from the perspective of a Zerda combo deck, but you're right, it really was a snow deck with this combo kill. And Khan is not a bad card to play, even without this like acceleration from Grim Monolith, but you just, you know, you up your... Uh, like strong starts with that as well turn two monolith into khan plus whatever yeah it added a really new dimension to the deck as well as you say plus this combo so yeah i think it was better than i first thought it was as well
0: yeah i think overall it's kind of telling that the reaction to serda being banned as well has been largely positive like i at least i didn't see anyone really on twitter or reddit who was like pissed about oh my god they took away serda i think the the overall echo has been like yeah that's that's probably the right call and you rarely get it that L- legacy as a community agrees that much on on a card being banned i like it
2: i think that's partly because it wasn't actually played that much like no one was really attached to it true potentially but yeah i, I agree though it, it didn't really bring much positivity to the format just i don't know i enjoyed the <laughs> turbo deck a lot, a lot but
1: yeah circling back around to a year ago it's basically a bomberman deck so <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, those, those kinds of decks are just always a, ba- a blast to play.
0: <laughs> I, I can certainly agree with that. Bomberman is the kind of deck, I don't know, I, I really like. And you mentioned how, especially in the Cerda snow decks, you, you would have like this engine of just like good cards and Planeswalkers, but also this potential combo kill out of nowhere. And I feel like Bomberman decks also somewhat got that Like They're not that grindy, but they still like... I mean, you guys know that, right? When, when you have Bomberman and you get, get to recur spell bombs or something um or i guess bubbles that's still something that eventually can can get you there especially if you're your bomberman can't be a proplicate. but i guess that's that's too deep into a different kind of deck <laughs> what, what i want to talk about right now is what other things of icoria like which card stacks strategies are actually going to remain because they didn't ban geruda they di- didn't ban yorian and i guess the other uh, cards aren't that relevant I, I guess there's the one um that Danite Megastart or something that only allows you to cast stuff from your hand, but that card doesn't really, like, effect on the metagame. Yeah. But Especially how do you guys feel about Giruda and Yorian?
2: I think Garuda, at the beginning, it, this card really, really made me angry because conventional graveyard hate doesn't work against it. So the fact that Leyline doesn't stop it really, really annoyed me. And I just thought this is another deck which is going to punish the non-forceable decks and it's just very unfun. But actually like Caracas and Swords to Plowshares and Pyroblast, if you get to kill the Garuda with the trigger on the stack, it's actually some pretty good gameplay back. So it doesn't feel OP or anything. It's a bit of a silly deck, and it's kind of funny. It might just be a little bit too good to be another Belcher, but I think it's okay for now at least. Max, you've played a bunch of it, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I've played a bunch of Garuda because uh, the leagues go really quick, and so if I've (laughs) got (laughs) like 10 free minutes, I can play a match. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> which is honestly like half the reason I'll choose a deck these days is um how fast I can finish a match with it because it the faster I can finish the more times I can squeeze into play so yeah right. Garuda is um it's not quite as a glass cannony as it looks on paper but it's also not as resilient as when I'm high on it I said it is um it really does lose hard to removal on Garuda, like the source to Plowshares or Pyroblast or Caracas. Um, there's a Plan B in the deck, which is like you have all these soul lands and mana rocks. So you just like slam Thought Not Seers and you clone them and then you flicker them with a Restoration Angel, that's or what, you just place that's some what Angels. That's
2: makes it pretty real and resilient, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, but that's unfortunately, it's a real plan. Actually, yeah, it is a real plan, but unfortunately, that plan doesn't happen quite as much as you'd want because the is really bad. That's the okay. that's the secret part of the deck. The is terrible.
2: They've just been on the end of, like, two soul lands, thought not into Phantasmal images a couple of times. It's so, like, yeah, this nice uh, graph Digger's Cage in play looking pretty good.
1: <laughs> it's funny how sometimes you never notice bad mana when your opponent's playing the deck, but when you play it, it's always there, huh? <laughs>
2: that's true. Because you could just be thinking, oh, they just have, like, six clones in hand or a silly deck but actually they have like things that just one mana off casting or whatever or they need a blue mana for this clone on this thing yeah I can see that
1: yeah so when you when you're sitting in the driver's seat you really you feel like oh I'd win if I just drew a Cavern of Souls or a Chrome Mox or whatever it would be but yeah you just hit so too yeah, many mana rocks or that deck I think I mean.
2: it, it can stick around for now It's it's it, I still find it quite funny actually but Yorion is the big, big elephant in the room, like figuratively and quite literally, because it's just big in every way.
0: What is it even? Is it like a snake, a serpent?
2: It's a bird serpent, I think. Yeah, bird uh, serpent. It, it just <laughs> looks huge, right? And a 4-5 is huge.
0: Well, a 4-5 is the typical Tamagot size. That, that always feels yeah. like to me. I guess that, that's the big card to remain from, from a right? And yeah. like following the discussion we were having online, it feels like the biggest discussion right now is whether like, Yorion is. Continue, it's gonna continue to be a thing, or people are just gonna revert back to what we had before Ikoria, which is like the 60 card Snoko deck because they're quite similar. They have a lot of cards that kind of overlap in the form of like Ice Coat Code, Glenn Strix. Like the deck easily scales up to 80 cards, I guess, right? You, you can increase your force of negation count, your two drop count. Um, I don't know whether. What that actually? I, I, I gotta ask you guys. Does the deck play for preordain, or how do you actually get to that kind of number?
1: So you play eight cantrips, like the four brainstorm, and then um, like the Echo baronin list uh, didn't actually play any ponder. it Just played four preordain, four astrolabe and four abundant growth, and that was the uh, the draw a card
0: cycle. Oh, abundant growth is kind of nice, right? Because you get to draw the extra card with Yorian, I guess. And if you have like lots of basics you're you're not getting punished that much
2: that still seems kind of wild to me like i know that they like preordain over ponder but when you're upping the card count your consistency of finding force of will and brainstorm and the right cards in the right matchups is going to go down so i would think that you want to just play all the good cantrips you can
1: yeah i'm like i'm in agreement
2: yeah i mean abundant growth i think i'm not sure if you can play in addition to both preordain and ponder and I get the synergy with Yorion, but like, does Yorion need to draw those extra cards? Maybe the mana's too bad. Like I haven't gone into it too deep myself. I just I just feel like I would start with four Preordain, four bonder, four brainstorm. Like you just like what you what you're getting from Yorion as this top end finisher is you're losing consistency. So why are you not trying to up consistency in the every way you can? Is why I'd question that.
1: Yeah, I think the abundant growth is also meant to be um a really bad Astrolabe 5 through 8, since it does uh, yeah. just help w- your mana.
2: Watching An- Anorag stream the deck, it's actually looked quite good, I'll admit. like It's not ideal, but it, it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, so as far as the cantrips go, I really don't think you can go too much more above 16 like 1-mana cards that do a thing and cantrip you. Because you, you do need cards that actually have text to affect the game state. Yep. especially um, in a meta that gets as punishing as this one.
2: That's true. I guess, it, like as much as we know the Snow deck from pre-Ikoria, um, some people like this deck, some people do not, it's it's like the bread and butter kind of mid-range deck. It has a bunch of removal, it has some very good threats that are at the middle of the curve. And we kind of got to a fairly solved state, not completely at the beginning, before Ikoria, and now we're looking at it again from a... Do we play 60 cards? Do we play 80 cards? If we play 80 cards, what are the numbers of removal to play with that? Do we still, like, there was some five-color versions splashing red. Is source of plus the bug core still the right way to go? I guess it is pretty interesting to, like, ask these questions from a new perspective of this extra 20 cards in the deck. And if you have Yorian as a top end, do you really need all these threats as another answer, uh, question even?
0: You know what I wonder the most? Um- like I wonder what is like the biggest bottleneck in in uh, cards and I think the card that's the hardest to actually scale up to eighty is such supply Shares, because uh, like what's the second best remover spell you can get in that slot I guess you could get something like lightning bolt if you were to splash red, or fatal push but... fatal push
2: I guess Although they don't play push but there's a lot of abrupt decays
0: but at that point you you got so many two drops already like you you got yeah. uh, basically the eight birds or I guess four of them are a the snake and Abrupt Decay certainly isn't bad. It just feels like... <laughs> I wonder whether there's like room for, for a way to attack them aggressively. Yeah. But you would need to do it in a way that you get to ignore the, the, the eight death touches because they, they are just so incredibly good against any kind of aggressive strategy. So, I don't know how you would do that. Maybe, like, the first card that would come to mind is like True Name Nemesis, right? Or I guess, uh, what's the beast that has infinite text on it? The form huh, mana questing drop. Beast. <laughs> questing beast exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's the
2: <laughs> I think the the removal suite's gonna depend on lot on what people actually are playing against. So like if, if there's loads of mirror matches, you want abrupt decays for Oko and probably Uro as well. And like you want cling to dust in the mirrors as well and stuff. So it's gonna depend if Delver's good and if Delver is good, what what kind of threat suite they're playing. Like you probably need some some ways to deal with true name. I guess you have Uro and Oko to just ignore it. Like life gain is pretty strong against that, but if if no one's playing Delver, then you you don't need more source power shares, and you just want more permanent removal instead for the planeswalkers and stuff. So yeah, it it really depends what people do, because I'm still like yeah, depends how much snow there actually is.
1: Yeah, that's true. Also, as far as um, the snow decks go, with or without Yorion, I think the biggest problem about playing a snow deck without Yorion is as soon as you go up against an eighty card. Snowco deck with Yorion, uh, you'll really wish you were sitting on the other side of the table. Because even if having that removal, like the four source of pleasures and no downgrades is better against a lot of the rest of the field, even if that's true, which it not isn't necessarily the case, as soon as you sit down for the mirror match, you're heavily disadvantaged. And that's not somewhere you want to be when you're playing the best deck. You don't want to be playing the version of the best deck that loses to the mirror.
2: Yeah, that's really that's a really good point. I actually didn't consider that as a big factor in choosing between eighty and sixty cards, but I could definitely, definitely see eighty cards being favoured.
0: So you've got feeling that people will initially heavily like gravitate towards the eighty card deck, and then like you would actually need a good reason to play the sixty card deck. Like for example if the metagame War was like, which kind of metagame are we actually looking at where, where you definitely want to play this 60-card Snoko deck? I guess one where, where Delva is just overall better? I'm not I'm not sure. I guess you even have enough fetch lands to to get all your basics and, and hit your land drops in the 8-card deck. So. I hmm.
2: think combo is a big factor, actually. I think both versions are so good against Delva, probably, that combo losing the consistency of having a fast force of will, even if you have force of negations as well, like, the combo decks these days are so powerful. You need to have interaction from, like, turn one or two every time. So I think that's going to be one of the big checks for this. Like, yeah, I agree it, with Can you afford to play 80 cards if people are trying to dark depths you or omnitel you and stuff? That that would be my question.
1: And also, playing uh, 60 as opposed to 80, the uh, you see your sideboard cards more often with 60 cards. So I think that people are going to be playing 80 and then Really, the only thing that will bring people from 80 to 60 is frustration in missing your forces, like <laughs> you were saying, or yeah. not finding your ley lines, even though you're playing four and you mulligan down to three cards and you still couldn't find your ley line. <laughs> and this is ridiculous. Justice. Why am I playing 80 cards? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, totally. then you, and then you queue up a league with 60 card Snoko, and your first match is an 80 card Snoko deck with Yorian, and then you uninstall <laughs> Magic Online.
2: Totally. <laughs> That that's totally how my gut feeling is. People will start with eighty, and then there'll be questions. It it might still be right to play eighty after that. Maybe it the it still is fine against combo, but I mean, for example, Omnitel is the first deck I'm looking to to beat up on snow decks. Like, I mean, they're they're not going to care if you're playing sixty cards too much as well. So, yeah, yeah, that's, it's hard, that's it's hard actually a really good out. point.
0: Yeah. Especially about the sideboard, right? Not only are you playing twenty extra cards, which is gonna decrease the frequency at which you're gonna see your sideboard cards. So you're also playing one fewer sideboard card, and that's something that like Echo Baronin accounted for, right? By by, I think he only played like three and four offs in the sideboard. He was well aware that he's really not gonna be that likely to find any of his one offs. And I think yeah. that's something you almost got to do with your, your AD card decks, especially since the AD card Yorian decks are of the kind of variety of like control decks that are pretty susceptible to to being comboed out by resilient combo decks. Because they, they just like, we talked about it earlier, right? They have so many cards that are meant to basically invalidate any kind of aggressive approach. It, they don't really have that much protection and also like they don't have a quick finisher and their planeswalkers also aren't that relevant to most combo decks. So you, you know what maybe, maybe I want to play like Dredge. I, I never thought I would say yeah. that because I always <laughs> like looked down upon Dredge until I guess the L- Mulligan hit. Like looking back, I mentioned this before. I think Dredge might have been the deck that benefited the most from the L- Mulligan. And yeah, if people are playing AD card decks, maybe Dredge is. I is totally the place agree to with be. that.
2: Yeah, I I've got a huge soft spot for Dredge as well. I don't know. It's just something about how weird it is. Like it's just it's just so cool <laughs> to me. Even if it's a well, I love it because it's so ugly and so weird. I maybe that makes me <laughs> weird, I
1: don't
0: mind <laughs> yeah as yeah, far as the uh, do you love?
1: <laughs> as far as the graveyard decks go you're right that punishing the snow decks on the fast proactive axis that most magic doesn't get played on is really how to Take advantage of the fact that they've got the sideboard disadvantage. So yeah, dredge is a good way to do that. If you want to play dredge and feel like you have a little more agency, hogak is a great way to do that. Hogak is just. I, I a do blast. slightly
2: question hogak that it, it was very favored against the fair blue decks, and it was the reason to play the deck. Actually, playing on the double dash recently, I was playing with hogak, and it kind of woke me up to how many bad matchups it has. It has a lot. The reason to play the deck is just because you beat fair blue, but now Uro I think has really really flipped the matchup because. The first half of Uro makes like it kills the bridges because a creature they control died, and the second half just beats your like fair Vengevine, a couple of Grave Crawlers, like fair plan. So I think Uro single-handedly is just so insane against the deck, and they have just enough interaction to like stop the combo kill. That um oh, wow. yeah, I actually really question how good the deck is anymore. Yeah, that could be wrong,
1: but yeah, the Uro interaction is just crazy. I didn't. I haven't played that matchup yet, I was just theorycrafting, but wow, yeah, that that yeah. will really flip it on its head.
2: Because the way you beat the control decks is generally Bridge From Below, right. just like making a bunch of zombies. But yeah, if you hit one early, that's your tool to like make them commit to a lot of cards into dealing with that originally. Like Very often they would have to push a Strix or whatever. Like It's fine, but you're getting up cards, but now they can just play in a row which pulls them ahead, deals with your premier threat, and then a row comes and just like laughs at your... Silly little zombies, so, yeah. And they have Swords to for the Hogak, so I think, actually, Hogak's... It, it kind of, in theory, based on the past, looks set to be very good in a fair metagame, but actually, it probably won't be.
1: Yeah, if you're not beating the uh, the Snowco Yorion deck, then you shouldn't be playing that, because that would be the reason to play it.
0: So which decks are actually, like... I mean, when we say beating obviously we don't mean like beat 100% of times or even like 90% of times but which decks are favored against any of the Snowco or Yorian shenanigans that we are expecting to be going on in the format for, for the time to come is there is there anything I guess Caleb already mentioned blue green omni which I think might be like a pretty decent choice even though it's I don't know we, we did an entire episode of it on it and I kind of like the deck but it's not something I really want to see myself playing going forward I don't know so Is there anything else you guys w- want to play
1: yeah, um I think that the aggressive creature decks are actually fairly well positioned um you know the the dumb ones like Merfolk or slivers. I think that those just <laughs> roll right over anyone trying to interact on a regular axis. I've been playing some slivers online uh the last couple of days just to try to take advantage of it and it it does work <laughs> Chris I've had people say something like... No card tilts me more than Crystal and Sliver, and they are correct. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think those decks, are, like, I agree with you. Those decks are genuinely much better than people, like, give them credit for. I mean, everyone's always joking uh, about Daniel Nunez, always playing Slivers. The guy just, like, wins a lot. He 5-0s a lot. And, like, I I think Lifetime, I'm 0-5 against him. And, like, I've played a different deck against him every single time. Doesn't matter. Just gets
0: crushed. Editor's note. Daniel Nunez already has two trophies with Slivers after the league has only been open for like two days. Great deck. Great player.
2: And playing against Murphoc, this is like in joke about Murphoc being broken and unbeatable, but I rarely beat it as well. Like, it's hard to explain because on paper they look funny, but the way the legacy format's just been shaping up further and further, Cavern of Souls is just so powerful if your threats can, like, are, are powerful enough to fight through it. So. Yeah, right. I can totally buy was and Murfolk being good.
1: Yeah, the Crystalline, Sliver, and true and this aspect both um, really invalidate spot removal. And then, shifting slightly over to um, my pet deck, Steel Stompy is, I think, reasonably positioned against the decks, but mostly because of a Stonecoil Serpent. If you can get them to use their source to flashers on something that's not Stonecoil and then like play a 4-4 or four, 5-5 four, five, five Stonecoil Serpent, uh, they can't block it and they can't really interact with it with anything, except for their sorts of plowshares and two jaces. Yeah. So uh, those really go the distance.
0: So which other, uh, other creatures would you play that actually make them blow their sorts of plowshares? Is there like an uh, arcbound something that you can sometimes get them to, to sorts of plowshares? Or? Steel Overseer the I, big I, one. I, I'm not sure. And
1: uh, also Hangerback Walker. They love to plow a Hangerback Walker because you don't get the thopters. So as a big target inside of plum Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, that sounds good. You guys actually get me reasonably excited now for uh, all, all of these decks, especially Murfolk. You know, I, I used to play a ton of Murfolk in 2010, 11, and I don't know, I've always had a sweet spot for that deck, and uh, especially the Island Walk, right? I, I like how the Island Walk gets to ignore their Death Touches. Uh, I mean, as long as you as you get your, your Island Walker to live, which is not a given in an Abrupt Decay metagame, unless you get maybe two of them, then you really blow them out. So yeah, I, I mean, there there's weaknesses and there's a reason that everybody's playing Marthark, but maybe maybe you know we should be playing Mar and and Slivers. I don't know. Like, yeah, <laughs> He also recently played. Well, Max really put <laughs> he recently played Slivers in a league, and I actually got like flooded with invites to the Sliver Discord <laughs> and the Sliver Facebook group and everything, and that was kind of cool.
2: Max really put his money where his mouth is, and like, you played Slivers in a Super PTQ, right? And you played it in oh you did you 5 yeah. 2 leagues with it I
1: think that's correct yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I, uh, I top 32 <laughs> the super PTQ with it um, lost a couple towards the end of uh, I don't really know what happens sometimes you lose matches but yeah they happen towards the end so with the 5-3 record I still ended up in top 32
0: you know there's a certain theme to every day turn I remember like 10 episodes ago or something Bob back then was also like pushing slivers as maybe the most underplayed deck in the format right now <laughs>
1: so
2: th-
0: maybe there's something
2: broken. I think I remember we're just that time. Not seeing it yeah I, I actually played slivers for a few leagues because I felt like it and he saw a screenshot from someone else of a chat we're in like laughing because we got paired against me and I went sliver hive eighth of turn one and then they like instantly posted the screenshot in this chat and everyone started laughing i was like well i don't know like it seemed good at the time like i just kind of liked the deck and it seemed cool and then he messaged me saying Is slivers broken in his like typical bob way and i was like i don't know but yeah i think i kind of remember <laughs> that time where you
0: just answer yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i just uh
2: six out my league it's pretty broken i don't know
0: if, if you want more information submit to our patreon where we have like the sliver <laughs> Submit to the patreon pa- uh, yeah this <laughs> the sliver page the liver Discord, the Sliver Facebook page, and the Sliver Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Man, no, Let's play Slivers in the near future. Yeah. Cool. But is, is there anything else? Um I I am somewhat surprised, pleasantly surprised that, that we are mentioning like aggressive decks because I always felt like playing aggressive decks against the Snoko de- decks is somewhat miserable, but I guess Crystal and Silver especially is is kind of Great to play against Oko, right the, the they can't really turn off any any of your slivers
1: right so you need the uh you need either flanking or first strike to really push through so otherwise the uh the the birds just death touch you away yeah and then the death touches right, us, yeah. so you need uh, you need either flanking or first strike to get through but once you have one of those you have uh Daniel Nunez plays six copies um four striking slivers and two of the flanking slivers so you can uh Usually find one with some amount of regularity.
0: And for the younger people tuning in, flanking is the ability that gives all the blockers minus one, minus one, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. It's really good against Tuning Nemesis.
0: <laughs> Ooh, sweet. I think what, so what, you, what you'll
2: notice in all three of these decks is they have... All three is a unique way to like ignore uh snoker's board presence, which is the biggest like draw to the deck. You just like put all these death touches in the way and then Oko and Elks. So Max said Stone Cold, Stone Cold Serpent ignores basically all the creatures. Um Merfolk has Island Walk so you it can't be blocked. And Slivers has first striking flanking. So they're all completely unique actually. But they all invalidate the Strixes and the whatever's in a certain way. So I think it's pretty interesting. Right, it's so if you're looking to play, that's gonna be annoying
0: We'll if you're the looking best... to play an
2: aggressive deck, you can't just be like super aggressive. You need to have an actual plan to deal with these things. You can't just have like Wild Nacuttles and, and Tamagoyves because those will lose to Baleful Strixes. But you right. need to have some way to push through.
1: The best aggressive deck in a vacuum is Eldrazi, Eldrazi Agro, especially with Once Upon a Time. But then the problem is that these um, these Elks, like Oko and uh, Ice Quaddle and Baleful Strix, are all pretty good against Eldrazi. And so yeah. either you need a higher top end where you um, have some sort of Ulamog plan in your main deck, like medium Eldrazi, or you need to um, shift into a different aggro deck that is better against the Death touch Birds. Yeah, that makes sense to me. They also
2: struggle with a 6-6 body from Uro, right? Because they yes. kind of scale up to... I mean, Endless One can get bigger, but Reality Smash is the premier threat, and then when there's a 6-6 that gains life and draws cards, it's like... You could feel a bit silly
0: yeah a 6-6 six, six, six. something that these decks also have in common is that they are somewhat weak to plague engineer like sliver smurf even Idrazi. like Idrazi sometimes even more for the death touch than for the minus one minus one effect but even that kills a couple of things and i wonder how big plague engineer is going to come back because that's the one card next to euro urian where people said oh this this is going to be back right and to me it's it's basically the bane of of the existence of everything I love, which is like <laughs> Maverick and Elves. And I wonder, like, maybe I shouldn't even, like, talk about it, but I guess people are smart enough to, like, figure that out on their own. And, like, it's not like we didn't already have this metagame, like, a couple months ago. Yeah. And, yeah, I I guess that card is going to be, because, because that a card directly addresses the weaknesses that, that we talked about and that are basically, like, creature-based, synergy-driven decks and that's why it's just so brutal to me um given if it's a yorian deck and they play 80 cards i they're probably not gonna scale it up to like four maybe they're gonna play three i i, I don't know maybe they're even gonna play four after sideboarding. i just hope that that card is not gonna have too big of an impact
1: well if you net deck the echo brunan list there's a uh, four null rods that were there for zerida matchups which you no longer have to worry about so you can uh Slim, no, four plague
2: sl- engineers. <laughs> Just him with plague engineers. Uh, Rodrigo has been playing like Yorin and Lurin, and he has four plague engineers.
0: Yeah, that it, it could be there. You know, maybe it's time to go back to Leyline li- li- of Life Force. <laughs> I think the, or it Vitality. I don't even remember I, the one that basically gives all your creatures plus zero plus one. I think one. Vitality does that, and Life Force is that can't be counted. I think. Yeah, to me, it's always confusing because in German they have the same name because they screwed up. <laughs> oh, I <didn't> know that.
1: <laughs> you know the, so, the green, the
0: green uh, line yeah
2: the green ley line <laughs> green light line. so maybe maybe yeah. we'll see like if if this theory of the creature aggro decks with synergies to beat what snook is doing maybe plague engineer is enough to push back on it and then we'll see a shift away from those decks um the other decks i think are pretty good against it are blue green on as we've said like it's historically pretty good against slow control decks so that makes sense and i want to give a Shout out to Jeff Lynn who's been playing blue Eye Tempo, which I know you really loved, Julian. And his Esper Val deck, oh, yeah. I think, is one of the, also one of the best uh, fair decks at beating Snow. It's hard to really... I haven't played it enough myself, but watching him play against it and the way he talks about it, I think that could be actually a really, really serious contender because he does beat Snow very, very consistently, or he did in the previous metagame. So yeah, I think that's-, that's one to watch out for.
1: That's, uh, that's absolutely right. I actually, because I can't help myself, I immediately... My first League post-banning was 80-card um, Esper Vile with uh, Hidorian. <laughs> so I stayed in Esper. I had enough willpower to not dip into green, which I kind of wanted to do for, like, Abrupt Decay and Oko. Okay. Uh, that, that needs that more way flicker you can effects, get, right? Yeah, that way you can get 8 <laughs> birds as well. Um, but, yeah, uh, it felt quite strong. I know that Jeff Lynn, uh he does. He streams now twice a week on uh, Mondays and Fridays. I think it's uh, seven p.m. Eastern U.S. time. So if you do want to watch a master play of the deck, he does that. I think he five o last night. The the day of the yeah. I was watching. That yeah.
0: I think his Twitch name is like Twitch TV slash JTL 5
2: it's it's JLIN1, actually, I think. It's it's not quite JTL. Oh, okay, JTL. so, so it's
0: Twitter's Twitter. Is like underscore JTL005 yeah. underscore. We'll find out and put it in the show notes. <laughs> I mean, we're going to link it in the yeah, show notes, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my other pick for uh, decks to to watch out for to beat Snake. Yeah, I'm super excited for SBY. SBY is actually the deck that I said that would be the first thing I'm going to try uh, once we return to, to the previous metagame. Because Jeff said he thinks it's the... Like he, in the in the old metagame, in the pre-companion metagame, he he was pretty convinced that it was the best deck. Which is at the time felt like a kind of a wild claim to me because it's, it really only was like him playing the deck. But after seeing how good like Blue White Tempo actually was and it, it lived up to the hype that he created, I'm willing to give him like a lot of credit for, for Esper Wild as well. And I'm I'm really excited to see that. I, given I played Painter earlier this week. But that was more of our. Actually, just like, let's play this, let's try this. It plays six blasts, so you get to counter like all the important cards. And it it is okay, I want to say. But I mean, that deck has other issues. Let's that's, that's not talk about that yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm i super excited for Espervile. Mm, me too. So, that, okay. I, I hope like in a week or two, we can actually come back and, and talk about how we did with Espervile yeah. and why Slivers is actually the answer. Can
1: I hype uh, Espervile a little bit? Because I've. I've played a decent amount yeah, sure. of the deck, um, so one of the things that it really does well is it gives you a ton of agency in uh, how you actually play. You have so much innate card advantage in all of your creatures, and they're but you've basically got this giant recruiter flicker toolbox that you, um, you you draw so many cards and you find the right answers for everything at the given a given time. That is basically a creature prison deck that you figure out the weaknesses of your opponent's deck and you. I mean, they're not random, right? You can identify your opponent's deck, figure out the weaknesses, and then play to create a board state they can't beat between Meddling Mages or like Peacekeeper or just several baleful Strixes and flickering them around. Uh, You can just create this board state that your opponent can't beat. I swear, most of my wins are usually by concession as opposed to uh, getting my opponent's life to zero. (laughs) And uh, that's pretty uncommon in a creature deck.
0: So for the people listening right now who are super eager to click the show notes and see what the deck looks like, can you explain what like the core of the deck is is gonna be like? You, you mentioned meddling majors, you mentioned wiles. I, I would think that like the recruiters that allow you to get your your one offs is that what makes it tick, or is there any right. other kind of like super important engine? The in recruiter
1: that? of the guard is the main card that makes it tick, um, combined with soul herder, which at your end step you um, you blink a creature, so you can blink a uh, Baleful Strikes to draw a card, you can blink a, the Recruiter of the Guard that you went and found the Soul Hoarder with to uh, get something else, you can blink a Spellseeker, you can blink a Palace Jailer, which is one of the sweetest plays possible, because you just keep on exiling cards or creatures <laughs> over and over again, and so, um, yeah, you basically just create this insurmountable
0: advantage with your creatures. Sweet. Now that's something I'm definitely gonna try I'm actually gonna put it together after after recording tonight <laughs> and and you mentioned you you splashed basic i mean you didn't really splash it right you can just get it off of white mana you put Yorian in there and has that worked out for you or do you feel like you might go back to a 60 card version? I
1: only played one league I went four one with it um lost really quickly to some strong red stompy draws and then ground out for uh, four really long wins uh it felt strong what i did to uh get up to 80 cards is i went up from 20 to 28 lands i added four arkham's astrolabe so you had vials and astrolabe to kind of both fix your mana so to speak and then i added a Spellseeker package so you uh spell is a one one that when it enters the battlefield you can search your library for an instant or sorcery with converted mana cost two or less. So you can find, you know, source of pleasures. You can find brainstorm. You can find tithe. I put an unearth in the deck as well. So I could find that. And uh, I put a couple of the, um, there's a, it's a standard card. Uh, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it's a two mana black instant that destroys target uh, green or white creature or planeswalker. Noxious grasp. Yeah, that's, Knockout Scratch, that's right. I yeah. put a couple of those in my sideboard because they just say destroy target Oka. Uh, nice, nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess that's your makeshift uprupticate. Yeah,
1: and before you know it, you're at 80 cards. Yeah.
2: See, <laughs> I've been surprised how easy it is to kind of fill out the 80 cards in most decks. Like, just even just in theory, of course. Like, yeah, all your things make sense. And I saw Jeff was playing with the Spellseeker last night as well, actually. Just as a, a one off two to target to even. To have more tutors because you just need to have more tutors in every way. So, yeah.
1: The the fact that you can then like recruiter for a spell seeker and then spell seeker for oh I also had ephemerate, which is just absolutely insane in this deck because yeah. it's just that, that's the main one to
2: like yeah. get with spell seeker I guess. When you're not mm-hmm. sure what you get. If you're not getting yeah. like a, a bullet then you just like get that and then you ephemerate it, get it again and get more things and
1: it sounds crazy. Yeah it it really is. So yeah you can uh, you have access it's an 80 card deck and what the main issues with 80 card decks are finding the right cards but if your 80 card deck is just full of tutors and tutor targets then you really yeah, you have on. access to your whole deck it's just more cards
0: yeah I, I guess the 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 deeper the longer the game's go the the more this kind of approach is going to shine where you really just like have all these sweet cards that're going to cover a lot of corner case scenarios as well um Whenever we talk about that and it gets me super exciting, I keep going back and I'm wondering, okay, is Delva going to let me do all of that? Like, is Delva going to allow me to chain, like, you know, the Tutor into the Spellseeker into the Ephemerate? Or are they going to murder me before that? So, how do you guys feel about, like, the state of Delva? That's almost like a podcast of its own. Like, How do you feel about Delva right now? Which versions of Delva do you think are the best... Like so, what will people be trying to do and be the most successful with? I'll
1: say two things. first of all, um if you design a deck and you think it has an okay matchup against Delver, you're never beating Delver. If you design a deck and think it has a really good matchup against Delver, you will sometimes beat Delver and uh,
2: go <laughs> even at best.
1: yeah, um, and Esper Vial has a in this frame a really good matchup against Delver. It on paper destroys Delver which means that you'll beat it more than half the time. Um, and I think that the rug Delver decks, now that can really leverage Oko, are in a good spot. Um, there's also people playing uh, Clothis, I think is the name of the card. It's from the new Theros set. It's yeah, the, it is. The that be super god. good against
2: Snow. Yeah, it,
1: it's, um, I've seen people main decking copies of it. Because it's basically a Sulfuric Vortex, except instead of you losing life, you gain life. And it's also main deck Graveyard Hate. And it's indestructible. So um, yeah. I think that that deck is probably well positioned. There's a, it, It's also not a creature, so it can't get oko That's like, true. Unless
2: you play too many creatures out for some reason. Like if you have four Goyf's out or something, then it becomes a creature. But yeah, <laughs> <every mind. laughs> Yeah, really, really eye on that card as well. I'm glad you pointed out.
1: Yeah, and then I think Blue Red Delver is generally good when uh, Delver becomes good because it's it's the Delver trump the Delver Trump deck, because it's just Delver with better mana, and especially since um, Dreadhorde Arcanist is now available in red, you're not really taking a decrease in card quality to only play two colors. You lose access to like some particular um, very game-warping cards like Oko or like Clothis or Hate that you can only get in like say black or white, but the core of a blue-red Delver deck is really strong and the mana um, being safe and non-attackable is as important, if not more so, than access to some of the more powerful cards you can get in different colors. That makes sense to me.
2: Like, I think we've noticed a trend where whenever there's a new metagame, people kind of usually default back to Blue-Red Delver because that's just the proven core. You have Delver, you have Lightning Bolt, and then you have the usual suspects of Days, Wasteland, blah, blah. And then as the metagame kind of, like, filters out and you get to see what people are doing, then you can add a color based on that. So we might just see people kind of default back to blue-red until they're definitely sure what's going on. But we're already pretty familiar with this like pre-Eye Korea snow metagame ready, in which case, as you said, Clothis is a great way to attack it, which is a new card. So I think we might actually just skip this blue-red phase and yeah, I think you're right, go straight back into rug.
0: It's so good. like I really like that you bring in Clothis, uh, bring up Clothis because I really didn't respect the card at all. Like, I really thought, like, this is just, like, the danger of cute things and of cool things, and people are giving this card way too much credit. And then I played against it recently. Um, I think it was with... Well, it was still t- at Lyrus times, right? But I was playing a Delver deck against this, this god, I think it mm-hmm. is, and I felt like, how am I ever going to deal with this card? Like, it's not a planeswalker. I cannot attack it. It's indestructible. I I can't sort the plowshot. What the fuck? Yeah. And, like, the, the advantage actually did accumulate over time. Like, I didn't think so, but it actually did. Uh, it doesn't really feel like it gets to influence the game as much as, for example, Oko. So... I wonder, what, it's probably only going to be like a one or two of in those decks, right? In, in the Ruck Diver decks where we've seen it, and like they, they probably don't commit to it as much as like a three of, a four of, or do they?
2: Yeah, no, I think it's like a one main deck, one sideboard probably kind of thing. Or if Snow is everywhere, then it's probably two main deck, because that is the reason for it, because it exiles Uro as well. So people need to like play Uro and escape it straight away.
0: So, and it triggers on the turn you play, right? Or oh, how does it actually work? No, it triggers it on it your trigger on upkeep or draw step. I think I it's on remember. your first
1: main phase it triggers. First main phase, sorry, Yeah. So yeah, you you can't you can't make it happen on the turn you play it because you've already passed the point where it would do that. Yeah. But
0: yeah, ah, I think okay,
1: it's okay. two in the seventy-five that people are typically playing.
0: Another card you guys mentioned that I think is like going forward, at least to me, it's on the forefront of my mind. Like for every deck I play, is Strathard I can when I played Painter yesterday, and that's what I was like uh, alluding to earlier in the cast, uh, I knew going in that that card was going to be an issue because, for as much as I like Painter, it doesn't really put up any kind of fight against Strangled Ar- Ar- Arcanist really, and that card destroyed me. Like I lost to Blue Red diver twice or even three times, I don't remember, and that kind of was such a big factor that I really like am reconsidering my approach to Painter. That I feel like, as much as I hate it, I need to like include something that stops the Arcanist engine. And and bolts, yeah, yes. I, yeah, yeah. That's just the thing, right? I I feel like bad putting in like cards that trade one for one that otherwise don't really do much for my deck because like against a ton of decks the bolts are not gonna do because you know you get the luxury in painter that you get to ignore most of what your opponent is doing because your combo is quick enough and you have also have some kind of protection in the form of bridge, but even like inserting bridge. Isn't that quick to actually stop the uh, the Arcane nest? And if they draw like two, three cards, and especially in the Blue Red Diver decks, I feel like they have so much removal for a potential bridge. Like they have a Braids, they have um what's it called, the Ferry that's coming back now. Now that Luris is not a thing anymore, uh, uh, the bra- Brazen Borrow. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. So yeah, that one's gonna come yeah. back, and yeah, I I do wonder uh, are Delva decks, like, we, we got Clothless, but are Delva decks also gonna include the tech that we already were somewhat doing against these control decks of Nile like, eh, uh, uh, not Nile Winter Orb, like, are we gonna see, like, Blue Red Delva, like, with a ton of Winter Orbs to fight to fight the I, I wouldn't Snogo be surprised,
2: decks? like, it's yeah, it's one of the best ways to beat it, like I mean, to take a slightly different example, Chase Hansen or Stryfo, he says his deck destroys Delva unless they get to resolve and protect an, a Winter Orb. That's the only way he realistically ever loses them, bar some things. So it is the best way to beat these like slow lumbering four-color control decks, be it snow or not snow. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they start adapting to. There are some players that just always play two. Like uh, Wackerock is one of the best silver players online, in my opinion. He absolutely has two at all times, no matter what. So and then people will copy that. So it's. Uh... I will also say though. I think Arcanist might not be as prevalent in Delva as we have had recently because the Luristex decks were completely super grindy, they had the aggressive draws but they actually worked off the card advantage more than aggroing and tempering people out Rug on the other hand feels a lot more aggressive, they have uh, hooting mandrels as well and they have Tarmogoyf so I think they are much closer to an aggro deck or a tempo deck than a grindy Arcanist deck you'll see also Rich Cali plays a lot of Delva one of the best as well as WackerRug. And he's always played two Arcanists, I think, and then four goifs, So he he's always said that he thinks the, the aggression from Delva is what wins its games, rather than that grindy thing. For Rug, anyway, at least. So yeah, that's... it'll be interesting to see if it actually beca- it stays as a default four of an every single Delva deck, or if it's actually stripped back a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's very possible that three becomes a sweet spot, um, especially if Chalice decks uh, do see an upsurge for some reason, uh, Arcanist is probably the worst two-drop against Chalice in the in the oh, world. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the... difference of Goif is, like, just astronomical. Yeah, yeah so...
0: Unless you have, I guess, become immense. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: true. Arcanist has the advantage of you need to answer instantly or you lose, basically. And so, I mean, obviously, citation, or tons of corner cases, that's not the case. But <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Arcanist, you need to answer instantly. And so in a deck, where Lurrus had the same text except it replaced itself instantly, um, you could play an Arcanist, let it die, play a Del- like play Delver turn one, play Arcanist turn two. They both basically get removed. You daze where you can. You exhaust your point of resources, you slam a and now you replay your Arcanist, and now they're completely buried under this infinite card advantage. But as you said, that's not the case in these... Um, Red Delver decks, which really lean on Tarmogoyf a little bit heavier. And so the way that they can leverage Arcanist is basically by saying, hey, you need to remove this immediately. And then once your opponent spends removal, play like a beater like the uh, the Mandrills or the Tarmogoyf, and then win quickly. Or the other way around is expend removal on these big beaters and then slam an Arcanist, your opponent use their last removal spell to try to remove your Arcanist. You force the removal spell, and then you draw a ton of cards and bury them in card advantage that way. So it does complement each other to a degree, but it's not quite as drastic as you saw in the Lurist decks.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think Rug also gets a lot of points in the the threat speed. It's so diverse. Like Oko doesn't get swords or whatever. Like Goif doesn't get bolted, Arcanist needs the removal fast, whereas Goif you can use your life total as a resource. Mandrills doesn't get decayed, where decay is good against the Goif and the Oko. So I've found myself with a bunch of different decks, like just stuck with the wrong removal at the wrong time. Like you have two plows and they play an Oko or a Clothis, or you have a bolt and they play an Oko or a Goif or whatever. So I think that's one of the big advantages of Rug as well. So you might see that flesh out more.
1: That reminds me of the old Grixis Delver decks the same way with uh, yep, young pyromancer so. demanding like a sweeper removal and then arcanist demanding spot removal like that went low and then kermak angler with seven cmc yeah.
2: and then true name nemesis yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly yeah. so so yeah it feels similar actually just a little bit more a little bit bigger i guess
0: yeah and i guess arcanist also somewhat gets to work around the, the, the that us if if it gets to flashback uh, lightning ball or something clear path to the opponent but it, that doesn't always work out that way and you you're in a weird spot right you don't really value your lightning bolts and remove spells very highly against the snow codex i would think but at the same time especially if you're running arcanist and you also want the reach from lightning bolt you still kind of somewhat keep them yeah i guess there's a world where you you have pyroblasts and you flash them back to a clear path to like not lose it to uh, to death Touch. it still
2: feels pretty important like it's the arcanist and the goif and the mandrills you don't want any of them trading with the Strixes, and like they they hit really hard. So like, you're you're down a card, but you're up five damage or something. So yeah, I think they're pretty important.
0: Also, probably like a card that's. I, Already, a card that already saw a lot of play was spellsnare, I guess, which, which makes sense. We, uh, it's not only the thing that you get to counter their the two drops, their Death Touchers, which I feel might actually, no, I've mentioned them so much, maybe they are actually the most influential card in the format right now. Um, you also get to do that with a tempo advantage, which is kind of a big thing. Like If you get your opponent to basically skip their second turn by just paying one mana, that's that's kind of a big deal. Yeah.
2: Although every time you have Spell Snare and against gets Delver, they play Oko. 100% of the time, I promise you. It's <laughs> just how it goes.
1: <laughs> the best thing okay. that Snow does is pitch to Forest of Will. <laughs> yeah. Don't let Marcus <laughs> hear this,
0: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so a card we actually haven't spoken about at all since it didn't really see any kind of play as of late is Whale of Summer. Do you, do you guys think Whale of Summer is going to make like its big, um, whether it's going to be glorious, I don't know, but its big return?
2: Glorious is being a bit kind, I guess. Yeah, I think, I mean, Veil is fine against Delver, but it was really actually pushed out because of Delver. It's it's a really big tempo loss to leave up this one mana to try and protect your things, and you want to be reactive against Delver rather than proactive, which Veil is probably better against. But it is amazing against snow decks. Like, you, you counter, any of their counter magic, obviously... You can technically counter an Oko Plus, you can stop their Decays and whatever. So yeah, I think there's a very good chance we see it an uptick in
1: Veil. Yeah, Veil is both good against the decks that are good against uh, Snowco, like some of the fast combo, and then also good against um, Abrupt Decay. So as people shift toward Abrupt Decay, which, I mean, you can look at the permanents we've been naming, Abrupt Decay is really good against them. As people shift to Abrupt Decay as the uncounterable removal Um Bale of Summer does a great job at stopping that plan. So I think it's going to actually see a resurgence um, as the metagame evolves a little bit toward Rough Decay, which is where I think things are going. Yeah, makes sense to me.
0: What I do wonder is, I feel like Bale of Summer is as its best out of a control deck against another control deck it's basically a pyroblast that traps in that sense i've always been somewhat hesitant to to run it like in delvar or, or like people tell me why do you not run it like in elves or maverick and always feels like it's it doesn't really work that way like those decks are not at least maverick and elves are not really constructed in a way that like the matchup dynamics work out that you often get to do that i i I guess you get to do that a little more in Dalva even though like I'm not that happy to like leave up a green for whale of summer and, and rock diver especially um I don't know so do you think it's good enough to to be like a like I could see it like as a two of the sideboard, right at best
2: Yeah I mean what what you're trying to describe is like Maverick is like you're playing to the board against these control decks and then trying to navigate to a game state where they can't answer your threats and it's not always on the stack like I think force is obviously good against maverick like you could use it to force through a choke and a gideon but the problem is your best threats against them are expensive as well so like if you have a choke or a gideon or whatever then you're leaving up the veil as well at the same time it's pretty mana intensive and it like might not play on your curve and so if you're playing too high up the curve then you're not putting enough pressure on them and they can just like actually instigate their own proactive game plan whereas the control mirrors you have so many answers for any kind of proactive pressure you try and put on the opponent that it's kind of almost doomed to fail unless they stumble on mana or something so actually the mirrors become very much about either snowballing early which fail of summer helps to protect your threats from removal or it becomes very much about raw card advantage, which fail is gonna put you up a card, maybe two if you veil or force a force of will, or it just becomes very stack based as well, which again Veil is amazing against. So I think that's the kind of dynamic where it's as you say, amazing in control mirrors, but can be slightly awkward from the non uh, matchups that go to a stack based interaction later in the game, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, fail is way better mm-hmm. when you can pick the when you can pick the timing of the battle, which you know, reactive yeah, decks exactly. or combo decks tend to do. And way worse, again, when you're playing proactively and your opponent gets to pick the answer. Because if you, like, you know, play a Gideon and your opponent goes, Council's Judgment, like, your Veil isn't going to do anything. Or you play you play a Choke, your opponent lets it resolve and they disenchant it. Like, again, like, nice Veil of Summer. Yeah.
2: yeah, I guess it depends what you're forcing through, because obviously it's insane in Show and Tell, because if this Show and Tell resolves, they just die. Right. But... But like as these threats from Maverick, as we're describing, they don't just die. Like, and a lot of the removal from the control decks can deal with it in non-available.
0: Is that the right word? Available. <laughs> yeah. Ways. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. And with Omnitel you get to pick the timing.
0: Something that's always like. A little bit awkward to me as well as and I keep going just going back to those cards all the time, are uh, like Ice Van Kodal and for Strix. They they're not really faced by by Whale. They just don't really care about it. And they themselves are kinda like removal spells. And and they are so important, right? They are some of the best like quote unquote removal spells in the format right now. And when you don't get to interact with them, like with Whale at all, it, it just feels like bad. I, I can see like a scenario where I have like Charmogoyf, and they have for Strix and I have like Whale and yeah. I'm like yeah, I wish you were a Pyroblast. Yeah, yeah,
2: it can feel pretty bad.
0: So I don't know. I think it's like the, the reason it gets, well, I guess it gets a bad rap, right? I think it's one of the most called for cards for a ban Legacy right now. I think the major reason for that is just be how it influences the control. I could be wrong, but I think that's where, where the whole reputation comes from, like the control mirrors and the influence it has on the control mirrors. I don't really feel like... Decks like Delva playing playing no. it is, is what makes it so miserable for, for Control no, Play. I agree. Players. It's,
2: it's a weird one because it is actually a very narrow part of the meta game that it's a quote-unquote problem for. But it's just so powerful, I guess, that it like evokes this visceral reaction to it because it's just so strong when it's good. You just feel a bit sick. But yeah, it, it does feel slightly narrow in application in theory now, but we may just be going to a format where it's
0: it's so good again. And with that, I guess um, we'll have to see what the format is really going to look like. Um, I guess next week we're going to get the first five o lists, and we're also going to have the next Legacy Challenge in the box. And I guess this Thursday, is I, I guess we're going to have a PTQ every week now, yes. right? That's, that's just how it works. It's amazing
2: getting these super PTQs, like the results. Like the challenges are great because you can see... Not just the curated 5 lists we got every week, but you can see what decks are actually like. You can see the trends, what decks are doing well. But now with the, the Super quantity, PTQ, right? more players, more grinders as well. Like Grinders are not format specialists, but they'll pick up what they deem as the best deck or they're told as the best deck. So you can see people's perceptions of the format as well as what is actually performing well. So,
1: yep, these are
2: great. I love it.
1: Yeah, I love the Super PTQs. Um, the, the pricing is good, which also helps... Incentivize good players to play them. The stakes are high. They're happening all the time. It's just they're fantastic.
0: Do You guys got any idea what if you're gonna play? What you're gonna play in the PTQ on on Thursday, which is by the way Father's Day in Germany. I don't know if that's the same in the UK or, or the US.
2: Huh. I'm not sure here. I should know, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna Father's find out. <laughs> on the, hold that thought.
1: Uh, Father's I mean, just always I'm, on the Sunday. I'm working every
2: day, so I won't be playing, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I don't think I'll be playing this one either. If I could play anything, there's a uh, if I could play anything and devote the time to really play the tournament, it'd probably be Estravial. Um the reason why if hypothetically I were able to play it might not be Estravial is because of uh the two year old and six week old in my house. So <laughs> uh, Those
2: are pretty good it's hard <laughs> to play
1: fifty minute rounds over and over again and far easier to play ten minute rounds.
2: I I would play I would play Blue-Green Omnitel. I think, just because I, I also think if I had like lots of time to prepare, I like the idea of Vesper Vial as well. But uh, I don't. So if I was playing, I'd play Omnitel. I think.
0: So Max, if you if you need time and you want to play quick matches, there's a deck I can recommend. It has like a Demon Kraken in it, st- if you heard Steel about Stompy?
1: it. Still Stompy? Wow, that's a really good call. <laughs> it, tu- it turns out that uh, Luris is st- still legal. It's just a Merfolk Wizard, and it only costs one blue mana. <laughs> um, Emery is a fantastic <laughs> magic card. I've been playing oh, yeah. um, a blue version of Steel Stompy with four Emerys and uh, two Psy Master Thopters because the problem with Steel Stompy is that it had a, a, a bad Delver matchup, which, uh, calling back a little bit, means that you will never beat Delver. And uh, Psy really flips the Delver matchup on its head because it makes this infinite stream of blockers. It also really fixes the Depths matchup. But as far as Delver goes, it now has, I'd say, a good Delver matchup, which means that you sometimes beat Delver.
0: Can you, can you send me the list for for the blue version of Steel Stompy? I, I want to try that out, yeah, and I'm going to list it in the show notes. Yeah,
1: Here's a question. That's great. Can Steel Stompy play Garuda? Um, not with not Emery Psy and Psy, but yes. Um, but the normal one. Actually, I'm not sure if you, uh, you saw this, but there is a version of Steel Stompy back in the uh, Lurus metagame that played Garuda as its game one companion, playing all even spells. And um, what it did is it forced your opponent to basically mulligan as if you were on Garuda. And then Mm -hmm. you weren't. You were on Steel Stompy. You you couldn't even cast the Garuda. And then games two and three, you actually sideboarded into... You chose Loris as your companion because the jig was up. That's... That's
2: so cool. I played against a, a Teserator list online with Guy as the companion and I mulled to force a will and then lost because they had way more threats but Lurus as like the second game thing that's that's awesome. I love that kind of deck building.
0: Yeah I think Newton also did that right when he won the it was even more than the Super PTQ it was yeah. like the magic online qualifier like the one of the it's biggest big thing. things we have for matching online which was worth like at least five thousand dollars like yeah it goes up to like i don't know a ton guess who came ninth on breakers for- <laughs> yours, yours yeah, truly
2: yeah. <laughs> N- newton came in eighth and yeah. he beat me by like 0.03 on breakers or something i found it out was
1: recently. really newton's day it was uh he got the round yeah. one by, and then snuck into eighth really? place yeah and then that's why he got it oh my god yeah, it was. Okay. He's magic. <laughs> so happy on, for him, yeah, he, he's blessed by the magic online gods. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, he plays a great uh, deck. What can I he say? Play,
1: he plays <laughs> incredibly well. But if um, go, calling back to uh, last week's uh, Legacy Double Dash, uh, Newton and Callum were playing, and uh, Callum was something like ninety-nine uh, yeah. percent chance to win a game, and uh, two of uh, Newton's natural errors had already been exhausted. And the only way Newton could possibly win was uh, drawing the next natural order. And uh, I said to God, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I was watching uh, with my wife Manisha and I said to her, uh, um, I guess you need to draw his third natural order or he loses. And Manisha's response is, Newton's really good at drawing natural order. And sure enough, uh, (laughs) (laughs) there it was. (laughs) But yeah, he, he builds his decks right and he sideboards them correctly and really, he maximizes his odds to draw the right cards at all times. And if you ever notice someone is constantly getting lucky, it's not luck. Except for this time.
0: Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm joking. I, didn't mention that. <laughs> I think that's just like, just a big theme of playing elves, like constantly maximizing to like, towards drawing what will get you out of what you need. Because when you mention that, that's also something I've been saying for a long time. Like you just, I sometimes like say, It doesn't matter, just draw what you need, it's gonna be fine. But, I mean, as cheeky, I I don't know how to call it, like, as as stupid as it sounds, it it really speaks towards the core of, like, what it means to play elves. And that is really just, like, you're working with what you have, but you are also working with what you could draw, what you might draw and what maybe might be the only out that you have to draw, and then you just play according to you drawing it. And you just assume if that's your only out, then you're going to draw it. And with elves, that's just like such a big thing. And it's kind of interesting that you mentioned it without me even bringing it up in the first place, because I really think that's like... One of the core essence approaches to to playing as well is, is that kind of mindset and that kind of preparation for what you might draw and then to capitalize on it. And that's why you sometimes like, why sometimes people might be walking by and you just lose because you didn't draw what you needed. And then they're like, why would you even play that? I will never forget that. Like, if you guys still know, like, Phil- Philipp Schoeniger. 2014, I lost that way because I just like didn't draw anything for a couple of turns and then the deck looks really embarrassing. And he was like, How could you ever play that kind of deck? It's like it doesn't give you any agency. And yeah, like the the concept that I just discussed where you play towards what you might draw and what might renew the game, that's the kind of agency you have. And then I mean you might win, you might lose. There's some luck involved. But I think that happens for a ton of decks. And for some decks, it might not be as evident because you feel like you have agency but in the long run you actually don't and yeah that that's just something i i wanted to touch on because you you really struck a nerve there when you when you said you you play according to what you can draw because yeah it make, especially for it makes Fs. perfect sense because elves is thing.
2: like the ultimate synergy deck right you're playing a bunch of one ones for one that they all work together in little ways and then you just have these payoffs that you you build towards in whatever way it is so yeah it makes perfect sense one of, what he said also like uh like made me remember one of my first memories of getting back into the game and back into legacy the first time i kind of came back i used to play extended years ago and i came back and said to a friend i want to play and he lent me a legacy deck i think he let me food chain and he was watching me play like the first round or second round and then afterwards he told me like why didn't you play food chain turn two off your bird's paradise whatever and i said oh i was playing around force of will i thought my opponent had it he was like no, no, no. You you don't play around forcible by not playing your spells. You play around forcible by playing your spells, getting them forcible <laughs> and then you just like have the next thing free. So what are you were saying? You just like yeah, that kind of made sense to me as well.
1: Yeah, there's also something else that you uh, I think you've said multiple times, Julian, and it's that sometimes the right play looks really embarrassing when it goes wrong, and that doesn't make it the wrong play. It's like it's okay to look stupid. In fact, um, you sometimes it's even good to look stupid, and like you shouldn't let. The perception of like falling flat on your face prevent you from making the play that gives you the best chance to actually win the game yeah
0: couldn't yeah, agree more that's pretty much it right i think that's that's a common theme not only like with regards to elves, but to to not even like magic but most competitive things that have an element of variance in them where i think the, the people who are doing really well in it they will tell you exactly that They they're not like scared of looking stupid so yeah Um, I hope we didn't look too stupid or sound too stupid on this cast. I'm going to do some editing, to Actually, that's the beauty of editing, right? I'm going to make all of us sound much more smarter and also give a better listening experience to the audience. That's what we do every week, I think. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's why, actually, I have to do almost no editing. (laughs) 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 So, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this format is going to turn out. If you wanna see more of Calum, of Max, of me, uh where, where can people reach you guys? Like Calum, what, what's your social media? Where can where do we find you?
2: Uh, I should need to look it up again quickly, I can't remember.
0: I think it's <laughs>
2: <laughs> at Whitefaces MTG on Twitter. That's where I'm in the most of the times and yeah. I'll if you ever have questions on anything I'm doing, that's the best place to reach out to me. Either direct message or just tag me on something and uh yeah, I share a lot of ideas yeah. on there, so that's the best place to find me.
0: I guess you can also, we can also find you on the Everyday Channel Discord if you want to yes, drop by yeah. and drop any kind of questions for future episodes. Yeah,
2: anyone, you can find me there as well. Any questions I'm happy to talk about.
0: Awesome. And Max, where can people find you and your content?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter at Max Dorschen, at M-A-X-T-O-R-T-I-O-N and uh, you can find my content on there on Twitter and also on minmaxblog.com um, where my buddy Min and I uh, post legacy content pretty regularly.
0: I want to say one of the highest quality legacy pages out there definitely check it out if you haven't heard of it yet and also if you have heard of it <laughs> yet <laughs>
1: it's only for people that don't know it if you know you know don't go um we post yeah you, you get like one-time entry <laughs> we post theory articles uh i've got a new computer now so i'll be able to record more leagues again um unfortunately My old computer was on legs, and the CPU was overheating whenever I tried to record. But uh, now that's back on, so I should try to record some leagues and post them in this uh, new metagame. I play a lot of different decks, so I also just try to write about what I play, so it's not just a league with nothing on it. I'll uh, I'll write about why I think it's good and the kind of metagame that the deck is trying to leverage.
0: Awesome. And if you want to find me, I'm at itsjulian23 on Twitter and TV slash Julian for, for my weekly streams that I do like actually more like two to three times a week uh, now that the soft quarantine is still kind of going on. And hopefully also in the future in general. And if you want to follow our podcast, by the way, we also have a Twitter and we have actually had a Twitter for a long time. It's at eternalmtg. And yeah, we're posting stuff there, and you can also hit us up there. And if you want to enter the aforementioned Discord, the Everyday Eternal Discord, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon.com slash Everyday where you can subscribe on different tiers. It's based on uh, per pair so if you only release one episode a month, that's only going to be charged once. I think that's the fairest way to go about it. And it really does make a difference for the production of all of this, and yeah, we really, really appreciate it. Especially for our biggest supporters on the Total Witness tier, Matt Nams, Valerio, James Slack, Victor Bernans, as well as on our top grizzle Brand tier, Bajubat, Scott Monroe, Kurish Alistair and Jeremy Gates. And our brand new supporter, who just joined us this month, Nicolas Silva. Thank you so, so much for your support. Other ways to support our podcast, if you want to leave a review on iTunes, (laughs) I don't know what kind of accent that was. If you want to go to iTunes and find Everyday Eternal, leave a five-star review there. That's going to make a big difference for us and also for future people who want to discuss, discover awesome legacy podcasts. Thank you so much for that. And I think we're going to call it a day here. I'm going to go play some Murfolk now and we're going to see all of you again in the future. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone.
1: Thanks, Julian and Callum, for having me on the Best Legacy podcast. Hell yeah. Goodbye. (laughs)
0: Thanks.